Welcome, friends. On behalf of the Presbytery of San Fernando, I am delighted to have you as part of our regular conversations. Our Presbytery is a community of churches and ministries that is seeking to be part of Christ's mission with faithfulness, joy, humility, and courage in the northwest part of the Los Angeles area and beyond. I hope that you enjoy this dialogue. Please feel free to learn more about us by visiting our website at sfpressv.org. Thank you so much for listening. Well, hello, hello, good afternoon. Welcome to the PSF Strategy twice a month webinar. My name is Nick Warnes. I am the director of Cyclical LA and co-host of this with my colleague, Juan Sarmiento. You know, this has been good times over COVID on this webinar. And since we're moving through and out of COVID, we are noticing a change that we'd like to be making. So this will be the last time that I will be hosting one of these webinars. And next, and on August 9, Juan will be hosting one more that will point us toward what will be next for the digital trends of our Presbytery. So I hope that you can join for that. Um, before we get to our special guest, which I can't be more grateful to be able to talk with Henry Artime today, a fantastic finishing guest um, for, for me to get to host. Um, but before I get there, I just want to say a special thank you to Casey Way as well. Casey has been uh, the man behind the mirror on this webinar and has done an exceptional job with getting this going and keeping this Very welcome over the course of COVID. Yeah, that is a, you're welcome from Casey. So thank you, Casey, for the work and expertise on this. Uh, without further ado, though, I would like to welcome our esteemed guest, Elder Henry Artime, to the conversation today. Welcome, Elder Henry Artime. Powerful words, powerful words. Thanks for having me, I guess. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> for everyone's sake. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope we get some fireworks going here over the next, whatever, what do we have, 56 minutes at most. Um, but before we get to the fireworks, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, why uh, your story would intersect with the PSF strategy, strategy webinar? Mm. Well, let's go with the basics. Uh, married to Susan, and Susan is perhaps the most hospitable, hospitable person I have ever met. Um, we have three children. They are adults, one's in marketing, one's a photographer, a wedding photographer, and one is halfway through school at Montana State wanting to be a ranch manager, which is always a good extension of a Cuban city kid to go and be a ranch manager in Montana, but bless his heart. Um, I, uh, I was born in Cuba. I came in 65 with my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, myself, I'm the youngest. I went to Cal State Northridge, the Northridge University and uh, graduated in 1990, worked my way through over nine years. So I have a PhD level degree from Cal State Northridge. I've been self-employed since graduating, uh, running a marketing and advertising agency called Art Time Group. And I love fly fishing and uh, to sum up, of my background, uh, and the older I get, the more I realize that I'm insanely blessed by the number of good friends, good, genuine, loving, caring friends that I'm surrounded by. Uh, the more people I meet, the more I realize I have 
I have friends I could give, I could loan out. I have so many truly, truly special, meaningful relationships. So that's who I am. Well, thanks for that, Henry. And how about your faith story? Uh, did you grow up in the church and uh, uh, go all the way there through uh, where you're at now in your faith story? So I was raised Catholic and uh, the Catholic church did good by me, gave me a solid understanding of how the universe functions and that God loves uh, the creation and all of that. Uh, however, uh, in high school through young life, I had the kind of classic personal relationship moment that uh, uh, is, you know, kind of the, uh, the term of the day. And I, 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 to me, it was understanding that, that Jesus Christ was the Lord of the universe, not just a guy, a uh, porcelain figure up on the wall in front of me. And so that's what kind of shifted my move. And I realized that uh, we're created to, to um, live life as God intended it, not as we intended. So kind of that kind of classic decision, turnaround decision and all that, that we could go into or not. And um, so I had that moment. And then shortly after I had a beautiful conversation with my local priest who I was very scared to have, and he kind of released me to, um, to go and find a church that I thought would meet my needs, which was a big deal to me. I had a, I had a lot of fear going into that. that. So that. yeah, so whoever that priest is, I don't know his name. Because uh, like most young Catholics go to their church, you wouldn't know the priest's name. And, but uh, that was a magical moment for me in my life. Uh, and then so I started, uh, I, I had a young life. My young life leaders were all Presbyterians or the ones I hung with. So I went to Westminster Press in Burbank, uh, where the person, my young life leader, who's still my friend to this day, was a father figure for years, was a member. They went to Grandview Press, then had been at Glendale Press for um, uh, somewhere in the area, twenty-five years. So, so, my, so that's the kind of the the timeline of it all. But my faith experience is predominantly through people in the church. I've not have I'm not a solo uh, in my head kind of Holy Ghost moments kind of guy. Um, and so I, my, I I have been loved and have loved through participation and the participants in uh, Jesus Church and have had very real understandings and uh, uh, experiences where I get a sense of like, wow, okay, this is how it works, it feels right. So that's kind of my experience. So uh, an aside is that I, uh, and I'll bring it into the church, is that I come from an alcoholic childhood, uh, alcoholic home in my childhood, which um, for those who may know, that's a very chaotic, experience. And so I have a kind of a bias for how I see God and participate in the church through that experience, which is that I, you know, uh, many children of alcoholics really want stability. They want uh, stability, predictability, etc. And so uh, because of that, I'm actually better in chaos than I am in the calm because chaos I have learned how to deal with it from a young age, how to adapt to it and manage it as opposed to be afraid of it. So, um, so in, in that way, the Presbyterian, my, my experience as an adult Christian in the Presbyterian church is that it's been a challenge almost my entire time in it for 35 years or so. It has been more instability than stability. However, here's the irony 
is that um, I've always felt called to be faithful to the community that however I've decided, whether properly or not, I feel called to and all the complexities of what that means. Uh, and so for all the trouble that being in the church has been, my childhood actually serves me well because I'm not intimidated by all the shifting changes, uh, disruptions, uh, arguments, or however we want to define it that have gone on over the years. Um, I can, I just walk into it and go, oh gosh, you, this is nothing compared. <laughs> no, this isn't a complicated problem to solve. I, I can explain to you some complicated problems and this is one. So it's actually, well, I want stability and I don't get it. Uh, my ability to manage unstable situations has worked well. So that's that part of it. And then for those who care, I've been a Grandview elder and then a GPC elder many times, PNC, served on the COM uh, for several years, few years. Um, and that brings me to the cyclical. I, I joined with you in cyclical. And uh, my faith experience has been all with the church, God's church trying to figure out how to be the church better. Um, that's how I've, I've spent most of my life in that kind of loop. Yeah, I mean, I've known you for a long time, Henry, and I didn't know a lot of that stuff. All really, really thoughtful to appreciate that. Um, something that Juan and I wanted to do was um, start to get some perspectives for the presbytery from uh, ruling elders in the church who functioned as leaders and uh, hopefully creating space for everyone to learn about how sagey, wise uh, leaders uh, in the marketplace have been functioning as followers of Jesus uh, in their places. So we want to go a couple different places. We want to talk about um, your, your work as a, as a Christian leader in the marketplace. We want to talk about uh, your perspectives on, um, uh, on, on the church and Presbyterianism and then also on cyclical. But let's start with the Our Time group. Okay. okay. Um, you can you, just like maybe a two minute blip on describing the R time group its trajectory. And then maybe I can start to ask you some questions on leadership from the R time group. Well, the R time group is a small uh, boutique kind of advertising marketing, full service, mostly business to business agency. And for those who care, it means that we do everything from brand development and strategy all the way through website, social media, et cetera. Uh, and we've been around in mostly Pasadena for 25 years or so. So that's the art time group. That, that's less than two minutes. How many employees do you have? Uh, we're 12. 12 folks. And as a leader who uh, is a Christian, uh, how has your faith impacted uh, your, your development of the art time group? And then let me put this little wrinkle in here. How has that, uh, how have your rhythms as a, as a leader changed over the 25 years? of leading the R-Time group. So when you were younger, how did your faith impact how you led? And how has that changed as you've gotten older? Not old. old. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, well, I, I, in general, uh, try to be humble and lead through humility, which I have not always been a good example of uh, as anxieties, rise. Um, sometimes evil Henry pushes away humble Henry and says, I can handle this better. Uh, but, the, but the goal 
is humility, kind of uh, uh, an equality of all players in the system. I am kind of uh, my little league coach uh, gave us the watch uh, talk that every part of the watch is important. So if one part of the watch doesn't work, the whole team doesn't work. And I I've, I've apply that to the church. I think that's a good um, supported well by scripture and a view of, of how church operates. And it's a good example for life. So I've tried to run that, the, the company that way. So humility, the compassion for people, uh, uh, extending um, uh, understanding that not everyone uh, is in the same place at the same time. And so you have to be flexible and see, see human beings, know human beings, not just see it as a company that has to generate a profit, which of course it does, because that's how people have their jobs. But there has to be a place for compassion. It can't always be absolute. Sometimes you have to contextualize issues. I think it for sure equality. Um, uh, uh, you know my office, so it's it's the you know um, so it's an international marketplace there. Uh, we hire who's whoever's best, uh, with no regard for who they are, where they came from. Uh, so it's not just in the equality of hiring, but also the equality of treatment of individuals. We, I try to have a model treating everyone equally, uh, equals a fairness opportunity. I think a, a goofy little silly uh, way that uh, I, I exercise my faith is when I apologize, because uh, that is a moment of vulnerability. And, but I want to model, apologize, and move on. So I want you to apologize, and I will apologize. So I will model apologizing. Um, and uh, I protect employees from clients, employees from, from um, concerns. I try not to pass on to them a lot of my anxieties over the years. They probably see them, but they may not understand the depth of some, some, some years have been pretty critical as you know of some. Uh, so I don't know if that's the best answer, but that's my answer. Let's jump in a little deeper on humility. I'm fascinated that you started with that. And I do, I mean, I've experienced you as a, as a humble guy uh, for, for a long time. Um, where, where did that humility come from and how might we be able to cultivate humility as Christians? Well, um, I, so if I had a life verse, whatever the heck that means, I think that's a thing, but I, whether it is or it isn't, I could give a crap. Um, it's kind of Romans 12, particular Romans 3, the sober judgment component of that section of scripture, where we need to not think more highly of ourselves, but use sober judgment. At least that's what the NIV says. I know it's a complex conversation for all you professionals, but... I just, I know the entire Bible is the NIV. All scripture flows through the NIV for me. Uh, so uh, that's how I, I have read it and interpreted it. So, um, so I'm, I'm just gonna jump on the, to a thought that relates. Humility is ultimately a two-edged sword on sober judgment, right? Because I, I wanna be, uh, uh, I wanna be uh, humble and whatnot, but I have to also uh, be true to who I am. So for me, as the leader of the company or as the leader in the church even, uh, a leader in the church, I should say, uh, 
that I have to know, I have to kind of have, have a, it's a complex verse for me because to me, it means I have to have a clear understanding of who I am because that means there, there, one half of that sword is I need to be humble. I need to be compassionate. I need to be understanding because I'm called to be those things. Um, but I'm also called to be other things. And so sometimes I have to lead. I have to make hard decisions. I have to make decisions that impact lives both. I've made them both at work and in the church. And and if if and I can't do them with remorse because that's the position I'm in. And if I feel and have and it has been rein, reinforced that 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 is my gifting, that is kind of how, how God wired me or or the Holy Spirit flows through me, that kind of gifting, then um, I have to, like I said, I just have to swing that sword both ways. And I, the challenge in that is to model the, 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 the narrow path you walk on this cliff that's just one slippery stone from falling off into the abyss of arrogance and anger and um, the, the, you know, the opposite of humility as opposed to being confident and leading you become arrogant and um, stubborn or whatever term might be so that's kind of where i try to walk that i hope i answered that question I'm not sure. that's good i mean for people who are listening to this either now or later um, i'm thinking of um, christian leaders in the marketplace i'm also thinking of uh, teaching elders more of the pastoral types um, what word of wisdom might you pass to them for maintaining, uh, I put the text up here, maintaining sober judgment, for, for maintaining um, humility in light of the consistent practice of sober judgment? Uh, that leaders have to lead. Leaders have to lead. So if, if you have come to an understanding uh, that you are a leader in the church, then damn it, you have to lead. You can't now not lead because you're gifted to lead. That's your function. And, um, but you have to do it within the context of being a Christ follower, not just being a sledgehammer. And so that's complicated. There's no, there, yeah, you know, you've seen it, you've been through it. There's no single answer, I don't think anyways, to that process. So. I would encourage more people to step into their leadership position, which will include challenging some leadership positions that maybe aren't leading well. Um, and so you need to do that and then figure out how to have a civil conversation in the process that is that extends grace and spends time listening, but still nonetheless attacks the problem. I think we have a lot of I've seen a lot of people who just won't attack the problem. They, they, they are paralyzed. And so again, full circle to what I said earlier, that's where uh, through a bad situation has prepared me for some conversations because I'm, I'm not afraid of the chaos. It's just, it's just life to me. I, I call it my warm blanket, like chaos is my warm blanket. It's like, oh, I remember this. I know what to do now. Well, it's clear this text too has into you. Um, so the, again, I put it up here. It finishes with this. I'll just read the whole thing. It's one verse. I think we can get through it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, the, 
for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That's kind of what you're tapping into. If you're a leader, you got to lead. Yes. And God uh, has, has assigned some people to lead. So yeah. And I think as Presbyterians, we have a good system for determining that. I remember one year being interviewed by a church nominating committee, you know, and the question was, how will you know if you're called to be an elder? And I said, well, I'm sitting here. You, you, if you don't know the answer to that question, what are you asking me for? You're the church nominating committee. You called me mm-hmm. on behalf of the church. And now you're asking me how I know. That's the mm-hmm. circular logic. I know because I'm sitting in this meeting. Now, if after this conversation, you all change your mind or I change my mind, then we can have a separate conversation. But I, I, I think we radically underestimate that, that what, what is expected of, of church leadership. I think we expect them sometimes to just serve on committees and keep the ball rolling, which is goofy because the ball is currently rolling downhill at an accelerating rate. So someone should get ahead of that thing and go slow it down a little bit. Right. Uh, you are an expert at communication. You've helped hundreds, if not thousands of people communicate better through your business, through your work, and just through your life. I'm wondering um, if you might have a word or two for leaders about how to communicate with excellence in their context hopefully for the purpose of growth, getting yes. that ball moving in a better direction again, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I think you have to uh, understand the audience you're communicating to. And, um, and if it has changed or moved or evolved or devolved or gotten angry or gotten whatever, uh, the communicator has to take that into account and cannot dismiss it. So that's what you know. You learn in marketing. I can have all my own views on any particular product or service that we're helping a client with, but all that really matters is who we're talking to and what are their understandings and their expectations. And what are the words that are in their lexicon? So if I don't use some of those words, then I'm not really communicating to them. If I use, uh, uh, if I use my, uh, let's just, to, make fun of you if I use only seminarian words or words that I, Nick Mornis, myself made up while in seminary, which you gloriously have done, uh, then you kind of have to stop and define them or you're not really communicating. You're really just talking to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that that's a critical part. I've seen church leaders in tough situations not understand um, who they're speaking to well enough or not kind of be hooked into what's really happening that that, that uh, needs some attention and and they miss critical topics or critical phrases that would uh, either increase people listening or decrease the anxiety of the conversation because they've heard some of the things that make sense to them uh, so yeah I mean maybe we, uh, we just yeah. do a second then on maybe leading a conversation on personas for for leaders um, my intuition in probably too high of a ratio of churches, the persona is singular and the persona is someone who's sitting in the church building on a Sunday uh, listening to a worship service. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's probably 
a bit too reduced, we might need to expand out and maybe do a couple other personas as well, uh, especially for, for church leaders. Um, could you just give us like a minute or two on um, helping to define personas and how those can be helpful? Uh, yeah, so when we develop communications for clients, um, we uh, have our, we may have our key target audience, but then there are, there are kind of rings around that target. If there aren't in fact, sometimes multiple targets, but, and you have to individually uh, understand each one. So in the church, you'd have to define a visitor, um, people being reached outside of the, of the building environment, people being reached through small groups, events, whatever, just personal relationships and communities. And you'd be training people or uh, doing development with them in some manner. Uh, and those two, you know, the one o'clock time for talking to church visitor would have a completely different agenda than the two o'clock session for how to speak to your neighbors if you're you know, trying to start a small group, just using old classic um, ideas for old guys like me. Uh, that you know, if you just have one conversation across all of them, uh, you're missing kind of the depth um, of what's really happening. So the church should probably have a list of uh, way more personas than, than just church member and person we're reaching. Because I know in our church, we often talk about the community, the community, the community, the community, like it's a, to use current language, one monolithic group but the community is not one monolithic group, certainly not in Glendale. Part of the community is um, uh, very well to do and very self-sufficient. Other parts of the community are struggling on a paycheck to paycheck basis. And so you really, there's one message to those people that lets them understand um, God better. I, I, don't, I don't think so, but that's hard work. And often the church doesn't like doing hard work because it takes too long and we want everything to be done on a, monthly cyclical one hour to two hour meeting basis. Problems aren't typically solved that way, at least not in my experience. And my friend, Andy Greenhow from Pittsburgh talks about how the church has cheese and that cheese can be turned into a quesadilla. That cheese can be turned into a charcuterie plate. That cheese can be turned into queso fundido Whatever you want it to become, that cheese can become different things for different people. And that's yes. a helpful metaphor in my life. But the church, I, yes. I think the church underserves, its, uh, doesn't, doesn't pay attention to its personas well enough. And that's a yes. big reason why our decline has been so steep. Yes. And if I don't like quesadillas, you can't make one good enough for me to like. Exactly. I don't like. And if I'm, how about if I'm allergic to cheese? Now what are you going to do? I like it. I like that. I like charcuterie board. I'll go for that. <laughs> I just had my uh, third taco of the day. Don't tell Whitney. I had one for breakfast. It was leftovers and it was so good. I had two more. Nice. And that was, that was not a wise life decision, but there's good cheese in it. I'll tell you that much. Okay. So how about um, leadership in the church? Um, you became part of the San Fernando Presbytery as relationships with Young Life brought you to Westminster Presbyterian Church. And for any number of reasons, you've now been a part of three churches that are part of the San Fernando Presbytery. Um, can you share a bit about, maybe let's do like a high, let's do a high and a low of leadership um, in the church. 
when when when's the moment that you really loved and you wish leadership was always this way and when was a really difficult moment um as you've led over the course of i mean when did you become an elder what year uh grandview i'm gonna guess 87 or something like that so a few years i was like 25 years old 26 years old yeah so in in your 30 years of eldering a high and a low um Honestly, there's not a lot of highs. There, there have been a lot of highs in my experience of being in the church. Leadership highs have not seen a lot of highs. Uh, um, why, do you, why do you think that is? I just, <laughs> I don't think we develop leaders. And um, as a leader, I, so I'm, I'm thrown into that criticism. Um, but I don't think, uh, if I were going to be blunt, I don't think the union guys, it's like, like to refer to all you ordained types. Yeah. I don't think the union guys take leadership development seriously. Yeah. I think they take running their churches seriously, but not leadership development. And I think um, it has complicated things, I think. Um, when I've seen it at its high, it's been in negative situations, but I've seen being Presbyterian work. It has been at conflicts with pastors when I've been on sessions that really say, wait a minute, this person is not um, leading our church well. And we have gone through, we did this and then we did this and then we did that. And this group talked to him and that church, uh, that group went and talked to this person and things are not improving. And so are we gonna sit here and watch this thing unravel or are we going to step in and say, hang on, th this church and these people mean something to us. We are called to lead them. And uh, we're about to go into the eye of the storm or the storm. I guess the eye of the storm would be calm. But we're about to get into it because this isn't right. So an ex so just as a side note, an asterisk, I've, you know, being at Glendale Press for years, um, uh, I've heard the phrase out of um, both ordained um, um, word and sacrament people and other people that GPC is a pastor killer church. I, I, I want to say for the record that GPC is a bad pastor killer. If you are a bad pastor in our um, humble and or not humble opinion, we're going to have a problem because we're not going to sit here and watch the church we love and uh, lose its impact and role in its community and amongst its members. And so we say, wait a minute, this isn't working. I don't know what the alternative was to stick with the bad pastor for the sake of not being a pastor killing church. That right. sounds moronic to me. Right. So, um, so, that, so unfortunately that, those are negative, that's, those are negative events that are not good. They've been ugly, but I have felt like that's when leaders tried to lead and say, wait, we have to lead. So those are the highs and, and those are the lows because it's unfortunately a bad, it's a bad time to have to play that card. Yeah, I can see, I can see that all coming together in that, in those singular moments. Um, the, um, you have a book that's uh, waiting to be written. Um, right. And before I get to the title of that book, <laughs> I'd like to know, um, they, I mean, you Henry have taught me 
um, so much about Jesus, about my faith, about how to lead. And I've appreciated that a lot. On a lesser level, I've also appreciated um, how you've taught me about being a Presbyterian, right? So I was like, a, I, was a, I was a young life kid from Michigan, mm-hmm. came out here for Fuller Seminary, and then became a member for the first time at a church at Glendale Presbyterian Church. And I remember, I mean, the, the, the metaphor for me is I remember a moment where I called, um, like, an, I think it's probably an elder. I called an elder a, vo- a volunteer. And you were very quick to teach me <laughs> that that is not a volunteer. That is an elder ordained by God to lead in the church. Uh, so with that in mind, the, the title of your forthcoming book, which you should do with cyclical publishing. That would be awesome. Yeah, I know. I know. It's called, uh, I Thought We Were Presbyterian. So can we yeah. talk just honestly about this? Uh, yeah, if you don't mind me being, this being the last day that I'm allowed to be in the Presbytery, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's just end in a big, glorious conversation. Let's, let's do fireworks. Let's do a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, a big part of the reason why I became Presbyterian is because of the leadership structure. And I want to stay true and honor that. Um, it's the reason I'm not Episcopal. I'm not Methodist. Uh, it's because of literally our leadership. Um, and I know you're, you connect very deeply to the leadership of the PCUSA as well. So why a book title? I thought we were Presbyterian. And then let's let, let the fireworks begin from there. Uh, well, because I just haven't seen the church um, reach fire on all its pistons, which to me, if I can use the car analogy, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Presbyterian model says if we have, the, we have an eight cylinder engine, not a one cylinder engine, and, and I see that often it fires on one, maybe two cylinders, sometimes four. And why aren't we firing on all cylinders? Why are we not developing a leadership structure where all eight cylinders are firing? And I think to some degree, um, it's because uh, I, I affectionately call you all the union. The union doesn't spend a lot of time in leadership development. And so we're, we're not actually led, well, committees are led by elders, but the church isn't led by elders. The churches are more often led by pastors. And when pastors, in my, I'm talking a linear experience here. So it could not be someone who is listening to experience, but the, I'm sorry to say that that's great. It has in fact been my experience. And, um, and you know all the aforementioned issues with my life probably taint it to some degree, but nonetheless, it's what I have found that um, uh, we don't run our churches the way that we say they're run. So we talk about all this leadership when when a a pastor, an ordained pastor like yourself, calls session members lay people. In my opinion, uh, I I don't know how why they're still employed. Like that's just a fundamental, you know, you can already see me getting the way I got with you when you called people volunteers, um, uh, you know? So yeah, so we're all slaves to Christ, but somehow we volunteer, right? That's my thing. Like, wait, how's that, how do you become a volunteer? You're, no volu- you're not a volunteer. Uh, so I think that I, I, that upsets me when I hear that. I correct pastors when they say it and we kind of kind of roll our eyes and chuckle because my you know, wife started a fight. But 
it's a problem. And to me, it's a fundamental problem in our denomination when people think that uh, elders are lay people when they're ordained in the church by the church, by the power within the church that it self proclaims. Um, and then it's kind of minimalized when it becomes just kind of committee leadership positions, not actual church leadership positions. Um, so I find that uh, that often conversations have been driven by the pastoral staff and not led by the pastoral staff. I think that uh, another chapter in my book will be that, you know, young, when I hear a young uh, men and women who are going into the uh, Presbyterian ordained ministry uh, of word and sacrament or whatever we call it now, I forget. Um, they are going to fix something. They're going to go preach. I don't often feel like they were encouraged to go listen and serve as much as they seem either. The seminaries may be saying the right things, but somehow the practice isn't coming out correctly because often it is, I need to get in that pulpit. And I need to straighten that place out. Um, which just mean, if that is true, the person before them of the same union created, helped create the problem. If you think it's fixed from the pulpit, then the pulpit is creating the problem. But that we get in the circular logic where there's something wrong with the membership and the pastor's trying to fix a problem. And so I, I, I take issues with that. Um, so I think we need to spend more time figuring out what it means to develop leaders. Very recently at, at GPC, uh, I know a young leader becomes an elder uh, that person isn't mentored in any way. No one is set to meet with uh, that person. I met with that person a couple of times and say, hey, it's going to get crazy in there. It's not, it, it, it's, you know, I say it's the big leagues, right? The fastballs are coming high and tight. So you better get ready. It's not, you're not playing little league anymore. But that's, as you know, if you were a young person that went through that, that's like semi-traumatic, uh, literally traumatic, like, um, oh my gosh, these are the, I had this uh, idealistic view of what all these Christian leaders were going to be in this room. And we're having some crazy conversations. My favorite of all time was when I was at Grandview, an elder saying, I don't care if they are shooting rubber bands at each other downstairs, we're having Sunday school, which I thought, that's awesome. <laughs> let's, let's build the church around that mm -hmm. level of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I just find a lot of our lead our leadership has come from outside organizations, guy, men and women coming from Young Life, men and women coming from um, uh, working professionally in World Vision, men and women in the mission field, men and women uh, working at Campus Crusade or Crew and working at InterVarsity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they come into their local church and they lead. And so they kind of came, they, you know, depending on the area, you could that could be a very fertile inbound Mm -hmm. uh, depth of, of leadership, but perhaps it's not. And so if you're in other places, we need to develop leaders and I'm not sure we're doing that. So um, a couple of, can I just throw in a couple more things here? Yeah. So I'm thinking back to seminary. I'm thinking about classes and I remember leadership classes, seminary, uh, seminary, the next generation of pastors are taught how to read Greek and Hebrew, do you know, church history, some systematic theology, in order that they can, um, you know, write a sermon that's quote unquote orthodox. Mm -hmm. um, 
So you have people that become experts in that kind of work. And then you throw them in to lead leaders, such as yourself and many others across our presbytery. Uh, I'm familiar with Glendale Presbyterian Church filled with brilliant leaders. Someone without the skills of leadership to go in and moderate, I guess, from a polity perspective, these leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels really difficult for not only the pastor, but leaders like yourself who are exceptional leaders <laughs> who are trying to allow another person to lead, um, but they don't know how to lead. That there just seems to be a very frustrating moment in time. Um, and I'm wondering what we might be able to do from your perspective to help to fix this problem of a lack of leadership development we have in our, in our little church family. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I have a, the answer to that question. I, I think we have, to, we have to have a good assessment of the leadership that we have that is not just the uh, preaching leadership that we have. And so um, if you listen and serve, so that, that goes back to my listen and serve comments So that hypothetical pastor you just described uh, should be taught to come in and listen and serve. And why uh, would you want to do more than you have to? You're going to complain that pastors work endless hours and people want access to them 24 seven. And, you know, it's hard to have your own personal space. And so in order to combat that, uh, then you try to run everything. Uh, so that makes no sense to me. Uh, so uh, when you when there's teams of people that can that have passion, gifting, desire, it, it is their outlet for how they will serve their God as uh, through um, the particular gifting, which will continue in that Romans twelve passage. It'll get to the gifting. So this is my thing. I'm, I'm, it's all pent up inside of me. I can't wait to to uh, be on the missions team. And then I get there and the missions team could be run by someone who was just appointed to run the missions. And, and, and then they have, and then they run it their way because they're the elder. And it just, it's, it, the system just is really wacky in application. If we had a better assessment, say, wait, we have a group, we have, you know, whatever, 15, 30 people, depending on the size of your church, you could have a hundred, right? Uh, gifted uh, leaders. Let's figure out where they want to passionately um, serve the church and serve Christ and serve the world and let's help them lead that and and let go of a lot of the little nuances that are all really caught up in a lot of that Greek and Hebrew and and other stuff which it isn't an either or for me it's just we're missing the plus the plus more we need the plus 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 to it um so I I think we have to do that kind of assessment and and I don't know why churches don't do that and it can't be seen as power. It should be seen as gifting. And that's, again, that's, a, that's another one of those cliffs. Power and gifting are, they run right on the edge. But if someone wants to run, right, so I'm a Young Life guy. I could run a youth uh, oversight committee or a youth committee for, I could have run it for the rest of my life. I never would have been, I wouldn't have been tired one day. I never would have said, oh my gosh, another meeting I got to go to. Um, but the system told me, to get out because I've been doing it too long. I'm too involved. It's going to keep getting my way. Like that just seems counterproductive to me. It, it, it doesn't seem institutional. That's not institutional intelligence. To me, it's institutional arrogance and it flies in the face of, to quote my book, I'm never going to write. I thought we were Presbyterians, mm-hmm. right? So 
Well, I can't wait for the re release of this book. I think we're looking at fall 2024. <laughs> if you'd like to pre-order, make sure and yeah. email the Presbytery office. On the... Yeah. yeah. Oh, you have you just have uh, a, a lot of wisdom on this from a lot of experiences, a lot of faithful time and energy um, that that you put into leading the church. And boy, I, I hope that we choose to go deeper as a church into uh, why we are Presbyterian, especially from the leadership perspective, right? Like the, back to what you said earlier, the metaphor of the watch. What if all the parts of the watch actually started going uh, to the engine, um, to you know, scripture and the, the hands and the feet and the eyes of Christ? Um, yeah, I think we all, uh, I think we're all probably ready for, for more of that. I, I hope we can move in that direction. All right, let's take a, a little shift here. Um, let's, um, let's, that's a, that's a pretty good place to land, but let's do one more, just last question. Um, what is one thing that you'd like to, uh, to say that may encourage uh, all leaders, uh, faith leaders and businesses, faith leaders and B corporations and nonprofit organizations, faith leaders and, and churches. What's one word of encouragement that you might have for everyone? Uh, <laughs> that's funny because my wife would say, Henry never encourages anybody. Because uh, <laughs> she's all positive and I'm all. She, her glass is overflowing and mine isn't just half full, it's got a leak in it. Uh, uh, but I would, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that. I would say uh, leadership and time are directly proportional. So leading is a 24-7 job. You don't have, you're not actively doing it 24-7. So you can't lead people you're not spending time with, in my opinion. I mean, that's kind of my young life kind of methodology, just applied over and over again in life. If you... Um, have a group of people you saw we try to model it when you were an intern at GPC how do you if you're going to lead the interns then you're going to spend time with the interns not just tell them what to do not just hold a training session you're going to spend time and the life on life contact if you are a leader then it'll transfer um, um, you know to me uh, I I uh, I would rather be called a mentor, then ask someone to mentor them. I think it's kind of, it's already falling on its face at that point. Um, so that to me, that's, that's leadership. It's, uh, uh, I've, I call myself the young life poster child because in a perfect young life model, or at least as I understood it, right? It's, it, you're gonna go and start living life together. And in, uh, in pretty much every three month cycle, I, either meet face-to-face -face or have conversations with the three core men uh, who are now my friends, who were my young life leaders. They have lived lives of ministry and leadership. They did not just fire off two hours on Tuesday to be a leader. And so Richard Michelson is still, you know, one of my best friends, even though he's way old compared to me. Um, uh, we exchange affection like a father and son knowing that, you know, we're not. Um, uh, Bill French and I still share breakfast together and Bruce Hosgood and I, now he's across the country now, we still share um, 
mostly goofy texts every now and then to just poke fun at each other, but we stay connected. And so that's the model I have flowing into me. So I don't know any other model. And I think that's, so that's how I would say, I encourage you to put time into lives and the reward will be tremendous, provided that you're actually gifted to be a leader. That's where the sober judgment comes in. So if you're, if you have a category error, it's gonna, it's gonna grind. But if you're in the right category, it should flow pretty naturally, just like hospitality flows to my wife. Um, um, uh, and, and I don't wanna make that a gender issue. Bill Myers, is a friend of mine is also very hospitable. If you're a hospitable person, it just flows out of you. There's no, I have to like think about everything. Like, what do I need to do? It's, it's, a, it's like, uh, it's anxiety to me to be hospitable. Um, being a jerk, that I can do. Uh, but so the same thing, leadership should just flow. If it's, if, you, if it's grinding, then I would say, get some help reassessing whether in fact you should be leading that particular thing. And, um, and leading is life, life, life on life. Well, what a lovely place to land. Henry, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the time uh, that you gave to us this afternoon. If someone would like to go a little deeper with you on these issues, where might they be able to reach you? At Henry at Our Time Group. H-E-N-R-Y at Our Time, A-R-T-I-M-E, group.com. All right, to the listeners, thank you for joining us. My name is Nick Warnes, the director of Cyclical LA. And you've been listening to the PSF Strategy Webinar. Have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. As we wrap up this time together, I would like to express our gratitude on behalf of the team and the people of the San Fernando Presbytery. My prayer is that it might have been helpful to you. I would like to also invite you to comment, give us some feedback, and perhaps even like this podcast or share it with the people that you know so that we may be able to continue making it available to others. Thank you so much, and God bless you.